Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi, welcome to the second episode in this podcast series where we are talking about parents in the Bible who lost a child. And I know the title of this one is about a rainbow baby. But before we get to who that is, which you might already know if you think it through, I want to talk about the story of the actual child that died. And I'm going to read this from 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I'm going to tell you right up front, some of this is a struggle even for me to read because there are things in here that I don't understand. I, I can't make sense of it. I don't understand. I, I, God's beyond our understanding. He just is. That's part of what makes him God. And we have such finite minds and that's one of the things that we struggle with, especially after the death of our child, because it seems so unfair and so wrong and on so many levels, and it seems to contradict some scriptures that we read. But we know that God isn't evil. It's impossible for him to be evil. He can't. God is love himself. And yet what I'm going to read is hard to line that up with who God is. And so I'm not going to have all the answers here. And if you missed two episodes ago, that would be episode 48. My husband, Dave, and I, when I first started really looking at this scripture, we just turned on the microphone and we started talking about that subject when it seems like things are contradictory about God and even what the word says. And it was actually surrounding this story. So After saying all of that, let me go ahead and read this story from the Bible. And then I'm just going to, I'm going to read it and then I'm going to go back and share my thoughts about this. So this is actually right after King David had an affair with Bathsheba and she became pregnant. And to cover up the affair, he actually had Bathsheba's husband murdered and made it look like it was that he was a casualty of war, but it was an actual murder. And so obviously these are deep, deep wrongs. And Nathan the prophet comes to David, gives him the story as an illustration of how wrong it was. David is very angry about this injustice until Nathan says, well, this story is actually about you. So I'm going to start with verse 13. And like I said, I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the night lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. 
David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. There is so much in this story. And the thing, you know, I was talking about in, in struggling with the fact that it says that this child born to David is going to die because of David's sin and contempt. And it seems like in appearance, when we first look at this, my thought in trying to, to figure out this, this just boggles my mind. I, I can't wrap my head around this. The fact that we see that as a punishment, that if this child was struck with an illness and died, this baby, then it appears that the baby was being punished for David's sin. But when I stop and think about it, I have to think about the fact is crossing over from this earth into eternity to be in glory and perfect love in the presence of God's majesty and his glory forever and ever. Is that a punishment? Think about that. When we really think it through, is leaving this earth to be in God's glory forever, leaving the sorrow, leaving the tragedy, leaving the pains of this earth, when we leave here, is that a punishment? No, obviously it's not. We are not being punished when our days are numbered and those days come to an end and it's our turn to be promoted out of this world, out of the kingdom where Satan has so much rule and reign, where he was given this earth and Jesus came and took the keys back and he's given it back to us. But we're not always good at ruling and reigning. So Satan just has a heyday here. So leaving this place and going to where Satan cannot affect us anymore is not a punishment. It's a promotion. So was this child really being punished for David's sin? When you look at it from that perspective, I would have to say no, that this child was not being punished. I mean, sure, he didn't get to grow up here on earth. And I know our pain of the death of our child, I, I know that darkness. My, my own daughter died. I've been to that suffocating dark place where I didn't want to be alive anymore. I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't know how, even though I had my other four children, it wouldn't have mattered which child died, which of my five children died. I know that I, I, you don't want to be here anymore. And it's not necessarily that we're suicidal. 
We just don't know how we're going to live the rest of our lives in this much pain and darkness. I get that. But that's our view. That's our loss. Our child isn't going through that loss. Our child is not going through that pain. As a matter of fact, it could be even seen from the viewpoint of, you know, we want our children to go through as little pain as possible on this earth. And when a child loses a parent from this earth, they grieve their death. We grieve the death of our parents. And that is something that our children are never going to have to go through. They are not going to have to grieve our death. It's almost like it's been reversed and we have taken that from them. We are grieving their death and that means that they will never have to go through the pain and grief when it's our time to leave this earth. As a matter of fact, they're waiting. They are going to rejoice when that day comes because they're already there waiting and they're ready to show us around and excited to have us joining them. So let me go on from here. When it talks about David prayed and fasted and he just took this before God, begging God to spare his child's life, I've been in that place. If you don't know Becca's story, when she was three years old, she had cancer, had her leg amputated, went through nine months of chemotherapy. She did survive that, but it caused heart damage. And the heart damage, it's a long story. You can find it on our website under a tab, Becca's story. But it's lengthy, and her last year and a half, she was plagued with what, her last 10 years of life. She had major heart issues. She finally got to the point where she needed a heart transplant. The last year and a half of her life, she had three medical helicopter rides. She had numerous open-heart surgeries. She had at least a dozen ambulance rides. She was in the hospital more than she was out. And I know what it's like to pray for our child and to to storm heaven on behalf of our child who is ill. I've, I've been in that place, so I know what that kind of prayer is like and fasting is like. And I have to say, I didn't have David's heart when, when Becca died. I, I felt very blindsided by that. I really believed that God was going to either give her a new heart miraculously or he was going to get her to the place of a heart transplant. And unfortunately, we, it would have been because of someone else's death that Becca would have received a heart that would have kept her alive. And that, that didn't happen. And I'm just amazed that when David found out that his child had died, his son had died, he got up from the ground and after he had washed, he put on lotions, he changed his clothes, he got all cleaned up, in other words, and he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. And then he went to his own house and they served him food and he ate. Now, I was never angry at God. I didn't understand. But I knew that God was the only hope I had to get out of this darkness. And somehow something, well, you know, it's sometimes you hear the story about like David and Goliath and how David said, I killed the bear, I killed the lion. What is this uncircumcised Philistine? I'll kill him too by the hand of God. And that's kind of where I was in my life. We had been through so many things 
like I, I mentioned, a three-year-old with cancer and an amputation, and we had other things that we went through in our lives, traumatic things for our family that, that a lot of families never have dealt to them in this life. And every time I saw God get me through, I saw God's faithfulness through that, I, I felt his love through it. Even in the darkness, I, I have learned that God is my only hope. People talk about religion being a crutch, and it's not religion to me. It's a, it's a relationship, and I know that's a cliche, but the thing is, he's not my crutch. He's my wheelchair. I cannot get through this life without him holding me up and carrying me and getting me through these dark, dark, dark places. And so even in my pain, I have been able to worship God, even in the tears and even when there were no words and even when I couldn't breathe, literally. I remember sitting in a chair, the specific chair in my living room and realizing I wasn't breathing and I had to tell myself to take a breath. Even in those times, something inside of me knew that God was my only hope. It's kind of like when Jesus, when he was here on earth, and he said something very difficult, and it had to do with the bread being his body and the wine being his blood, and many of his followers turned away because it was a hard saying. They couldn't understand it. It didn't make sense because they were thinking he was talking about cannibalism kind of a thing. And Jesus turned to the disciples, and he said, well, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, where would we go? Oh, you have the words of eternal life. And I knew that in God, there's life. I needed life. I felt like I died. A part of me died after Becca died. And I needed God to bring life back to me. And I knew that the only way that was going to happen was to hold on to him with everything I had and allow him to minister to me and pull me out of that darkness. And it wasn't easy, and it took a long time. And and I guess in that sense, what I see here is that David trusted God to do the right thing. See, God sees the whole picture. He sees the picture from eternity's perspective. We can't see from eternity's perspective. We see through our own tiny viewpoint. Our finite minds cannot grasp the infinity and the omnipresence and the the fullness of who God is and the fact that God is love himself. He doesn't, it's not that he just, Jesus loves me. It's not that God loves us. It's God is love itself. Everything that he does is done through love. And we don't understand if it's love. It can't be love if it causes me this much pain. But when you think about as a parent, there have been times where our children, we have brought pain into their lives because of decisions we made that we could see the big picture. And our children may have been devastated. They may even said they hate us terrible, hurtful things because they did not understand the decision that we were making out of love for our child because they couldn't see what we could see. And it's the same thing with God. We are on a different level than God, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. So we have to get to the point where we surrender, even within the pain. That's where the peace comes. We can have pain and peace at the same time because we're three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. 
and our soul can be in immense, horrific, intense pain from our loss, while at the same time, we can have peace because peace is a fruit of the Spirit in us. So the Spirit of God is in us. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, then His Spirit is in you. That means the fruit, His peace is in you. And so peace and pain can be in us at the same time. It's possible. I've lived that out in my life. And so within that peace, I can lean into the peace in my spirit and trust God that he is doing the right thing based on the big picture of eternity that I can't see. And I believe that's why David was able to get up, clean himself up, and worship God. Now, for me... That took weeks, months, even years before I felt, well, there's no such thing as normal, but I felt like I could function again. I don't know how David did it, and I guess we won't know until we get to heaven and ask him, right? But he worshiped. Even within his pain, he trusted God to do the right thing with him and with his child. And The interesting, fascinating thing that David said here, when they asked him, why are you eating now? Why are you getting up now? We don't don't get it. They didn't get it either. And when he said, now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? You know, I was hoping that God would spare his life and change his mind. He was hoping he would change the verdict that God had decreed. Before I share this, I want to back up just a little bit. One of the thoughts that I had when I was first starting to read this and pray about it, when God made this decree that his decision was, you won't die, David, but this child will. We know that sin requires a sacrifice. That's why the whole Old Testament was full of of sacrifice to cover sin. Jesus came to be the final sacrifice to remove our sin. It's not just a covering. He takes it from us. But David, in the time of sacrifice, and and that's one reason why I, I know that I know that I know that I can tell you that some people question whether God killed their child to punish them for something. As the parent, did God allow my child to die or kill my child or take my child, however you want to word it, because of something I did. Now, I I will tell you, I wasn't married when Becca was born. I became pregnant my summer out of high school. I had Becca. Her father and I separated and went different ways. Dave and I met through where we worked at the time, and we ended up in love married and he adopted Becca immediately. Now, I tell you that because I could look at this and say, did God do all of this? Did she get cancer at three? Did she go through all of this because God was punishing me for my sin, for getting pregnant out of wedlock? And I can tell you no. I know that that's not the case because I have received Jesus as my Savior. My sins are gone. Jesus took my sin, my past sins and my future sins. They are all already under the blood. He took those sins. He became the sacrifice for my sin. He took the punishment. There is no punishment for me to receive for my sin 
because Jesus did that in my place. So if you are under that questioning, you think maybe that's what happened and it it just torments you, don't let that torment you anymore because your sins are under the blood. Jesus paid for that. You can't be punished for something that Jesus was punished for in your place. So with the situation with David, and there has to be a price paid, a life paid, there has to be a sacrifice. And it just makes me wonder, I can't prove this. I don't know other scriptures off the top of my head that would support this. But I just wonder if, I mean, I think about the fact that David was the king of Israel and God had things for David to do yet as the king of his special people, the nation of Israel. And could it be that God allowed the death of this child to be the sacrifice for what David had done? I don't know. It's just a thought I have that I just wanted to throw out there. But I also want to remind you that that was Old Testament. That was before Jesus came. That was before the price for our sin and the punishment was taken on Jesus for us. So let me go back to what I was going to read when that when I remembered that I had forgotten to share that, if that makes sense. It says, David, when, when they asked him, why are you up and eating and, and acting basically fine now? And this is what David said, can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And that's the same thing with us. We can cry. We can choose to be a victim. Now, I I know when our child first dies, we don't have a choice. We are just sucked into this darkness and the grief, and we have to work our way through it. And it is work. But we do get to a point where we can start making choices. Am I going to do things and make decisions that are going to bring me out of this darkness? Or am I going to make decisions that are going to keep me in this darkness because I feel like this darkness is what connects me to my child? There are all kinds of reasons why we choose. But that keeps us in that place of being a victim of the circumstance, a victim of the fact that my child died. I remember I wanted to introduce myself. Hi, I'm Laura, and my my daughter died. That was my identity for a while. But we don't want to live in that place. I don't I don't want to live out the rest of my life in that darkness and in that place of identity that my child died. When Becca died, that was an event, a very painful event. Grief is the process of working through that event and getting back to a place where you can live again without being sucked under, living under that place of suffocating darkness. And the thing is, we can't bring our child back. Our child will not be back with us here on this earth, and that is painful. And there are bittersweet events for the rest of our lives. I only have one grandchild that knew her Aunt Becca. I have four grandchildren that will not know their Aunt Becca here on earth. Every time one of those children was born, it was a very bittersweet thing. Weddings, all kinds of things. I don't have to tell you. You know what those bittersweet events are. Those are going to be in our lives for the rest of our lives. But the thing is... Even if we stay in that darkness and we choose to take on that identity for years that my child died, it's not going to bring them back. We will get to go to them. 
And if we begin to focus, I believe, in what I have seen, what I've experienced in my own life and the lives of other bereaved parents, when we focus on where they are and their joy and their happiness and their completion and their promotion and where they are, and we begin to be excited for them, allowing that perspective, the truth of where they are, to rise up above our pain of missing them, then we can begin to rise up like David did. And no matter what we do, our child's not going to come back to us, but we will go to be with them. And that is something to be excited about. So I'm going to go on and read the next verse. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. We haven't even talked about Bathsheba. Oh my goodness, can you imagine a woman you're married to your husband. The king calls you to his castle. He's the king. You can't refuse. You end up pregnant with his child. And then this king has your husband murdered and then brings you into the castle to become one of his wives. And then that baby dies. Wouldn't you blame David as the mom? Wouldn't you be absolutely furious with him? It's his fault, right? And yet it says that David comforted his wife Bathsheba. That means she had to have allowed it. She had to have allowed them to come together again and to grieve the death of their child. And she allowed her husband to comfort her. And I'm sure their grief wasn't the same. In fact, he, she probably struggled with that. What's the matter with you? Don't you care that our son died? But anyway, David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and this version that I happen to be reading says made love to her. Some versions say he knew her. He was intimate with her. She gave birth to a son. And here comes the rainbow baby. They named him Solomon. King Solomon was a rainbow baby. Isn't that something? King Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived, was a rainbow baby. I don't know, there was just something about that when that, all of a sudden I had that realization. I don't know, it was just like, wow, that just, that amazes me. Even within this terrible story of the death of Bathsheba's child and King David's child, God brought another child who became the wisest king that ever lived. And I know that there are some of you that have had a beautiful rainbow baby and and we know that he or she is precious and and they can never replace the one that was lost from this earth but we also know that there's still a joy that comes with having another little life brought into your world but i also know that there are some who lost a baby whether it was in the womb or shortly after birth and you were never able to have another child after that. We talked to Crystal. I interviewed her in the last podcast series about how to help your child leave a legacy, and that happened to her. She was never able to have another child. You know, my heart goes out to you if, if that is the case for you. But even within that, God has blessings for you. And I just hope and pray that if you're not seeing them yet, that you will. One of the things that I was told quite a while back that I have just held on to is 
you know, that scripture in Romans that says, and, and we don't like it quoted at us, and I'm not quoting this at you. I'm sharing my heart and my experience with this. And that's and, and this is a verse I struggled with for a while when Becca died. When it says that God works all things out for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And it's like, how is it even remotely possible to work something good, to bring something good from the death of my child? It just seems so impossible. But what I heard told to me that I hung on to was if you haven't seen anything good yet, that means God isn't done yet. And so hang on, hold on, because God's goodness is still over your life. His mercy and his goodness follows you all the days of your life. That's what, something that David said. We can read some of the Psalms that we know were written after this situation and see David's repentance and see his worship for God's faithfulness. God is faithful. He is. And I believe that this story right here is proof of God's faithfulness to us and his goodness to us. Even after the death of our child, there are good things that he wants to and will bless you with as you continue to walk out this journey with him, holding his hand, letting him bring you the peace and the comfort that you need. And it's okay to be angry with him and still need him. I I know it can be a struggle, but every time you have the opportunity, just surrender to him again. Give him the shattered pieces of your heart. Let him hold you and continue to stay connected to us here at GPS Hope, connected to other parents who've lost a child who are ahead of you on this road so that we can give you the hope that you need when you don't have your own hope will be the hope for you, will be the light for you. So I hope this has been an encouraging word for you. And with that, I think we'll go ahead and go on to the birthday segment. This week, we have one birthday. It is Jonda Steinkamp, who was born on April 2nd, and she is forever five months old. I have met Jonda's parents, and I'm honored to be able to celebrate with them the day that she came into this world. I would love to announce your child's birthday to our listeners, but I need his or her information to be able to do that. So just go to gpshope.org birthdays and fill out the information, and I would be happy to add your son or daughter to our birthday segment. Most of us have a lot of time on our hands right now, being home with this whole coronavirus epidemic. And in case you didn't know, GPS Hope has a YouTube channel with well over a hundred short videos. I looked and I was surprised that we have that many. They just accumulate, I guess. Most of them, when I say they're short videos, they're around five minutes, so they are short. And I do my best to give encouragement on a lot of different areas that we deal with and the struggles that we have as bereaved parents on this journey. So to take a look at those, just go to YouTube slash GPS Hope or just go to YouTube and put GPS Hope in the search bar. As always, all of the links that have been mentioned You can find them in the show notes, including how to contact me directly. 
Thanks for joining me as we look at parents in the Bible who have lost a child and what we can learn from them. And especially during this time of uncertainty that we're in right now, remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.